everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hey, everyone. How are you? So, Matt, um, either I today as we're preparing for this, uh, one thing that came to my mind is, remember when we um, got invited to be guests on that podcast and uh, we showed up and instead of like someone interviewing us, um, they told us to interview each other. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. It was like five, yeah. five questions or something like that. Yeah, so, you know, um, it was kind of strange in that uh, we were like, you know, interviewer, interviewee. And our guest today is going to be kind of like that because, um, you know, he has interviewed people because he used to be a DJ. Ah, I see. You know, I mean, I was pretty impressed when I got to, you know, interview you, as I'm sure you were interviewing me. Of course. Um, Right. But, um, you know, I think he's like one up to us because, um, you know, he might have interviewed Johnny Cash, um, you know. So people probably a little bit more famous than us. (laughs) Um, you know, maybe a little bit, and, um, but I was thinking, like, you know, does it work that, um, if we interview him, then we, like, are kind of, like, interviewing Johnny Cash, you know, vicariously <laughs> through him, or, sure. you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think we should go with that. Okay. Um, to me. Sounds good. All right, so we're, well, we're going to find out, so, um, I want to welcome today our guest to Backstory Sessions, Mr. Bobby Tomberlin. Bobby, we are so happy to have you and to live vicariously through you. Hi, Kat. Hi, Matt. It's so good to be on your uh, your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, your career um, is amazing. I mean, you're a singer, you're a songwriter, um, you were a DJ, uh, you're an actor. So you really, like, uh, been the gamut of um, of a lot of jobs that, you know, people dream about doing. No wonder I'm tired. No wonder I'm just kind of sitting here in a trance looking out at the trees today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't worry. We have a way of bringing people right out of their trances. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I've been very blessed. I, I mean, you know, sometimes when I even look at uh, the bio that my publicist sends out, I'm like, oh my gosh, did I really, is that really me? I mean, I think a lot of times I've been so busy just staying on a fast track that I haven't realized really how many cool things that I've been blessed to be a part of. I'm extremely thankful for it. Well, and we're going to talk about many of those today. I'm sure we won't be able to touch on everything because, I mean, it is quite impressive. Uh, But what a life. Um, And it starts early for you. Um, So you 
were a DJ at 11 years old. Is that right? That's correct. I was um, born, and well, I was raised, I was born actually in Mobile, but raised in um, Luverne, Alabama. It's a two-stop uh, red-light town and about an hour south of Montgomery. And, you know, I was just consumed with music from the very beginning. I can't remember a time when I didn't just, you know, where it wasn't the centerpiece of my life. I was telling someone the other day, while other kids were playing with toys and, you know, you'd see me and I would, you know, there's pictures of me with records. I'm just holding records instead of toys. And uh, I had a make-believe radio station in my bedroom and would literally do the weather forecast and... (laughs) you know the news i can't imagine what i was saying but i was it was in my mind i was giving the news and had a stack of records and then you know at age 11 i became a actual disc jockey at the hometown radio station that was just uh i'll just never forget the experience of you know the first time sitting in that chair behind that microphone and and, uh it was just what a thrill Oh, I can't imagine, and especially at age 11. So how did that even happen? Did your parents know someone or work there? Or No, they didn't work there. Um, you know, again, it was a small town. It wasn't like working in, you know, a major market or anything. But it still was a radio station, and my dad did know the owner of the station. His name was Joe Rex Sport. He's still alive and doing well and um we were at a little store on a saturday morning downtown Luverne, and my dad saw mr sport and he says bobby is just oh all he does is you know has this he talks about radio and is into music and could he come down to the radio station sometime and and just see how everything works and he says we'll come down this afternoon and and mr sport's son tom was there I remember it well, and my dad dropped me off for about an hour, and Tom let me cue up a record, and well, boy, that was all it took. You were hooked. No I doubt. was hooked, and then it wasn't long. You know, I hung out for quite a while, and really, you know, to see how things worked out there, and how everything, you know, you know, like back then, you had to literally, it wasn't automation, it was like you had to queue up the records you had to play the commercials you had to literally punch a button every (laughs) after every 30 second or 60 second commercial and so anyway i learned the ropes and eventually became the afternoon disc jockey and after school and then on saturdays i would work and and it was just one of the you know one of my favorite times in life as i look back and reflect so was that a country music station or it was a country music station, and uh, there was a Billboard magazine resource book. That's that was what it was called, and and it was there. And I was reading it one day, and then I saw all of these names, you know, like Eddie Arnold Enterprises, Hank Williams Jr. Enterprises, Tammy Wynette Enterprises, and this was their office numbers. So I just started calling and requesting interviews, and then. Nine times out of 10, they would say, oh, okay, uh, you know, Tanya Tucker, you know, yep, she's doing uh, some interviews next Wednesday, so we could put you in at 2 o'clock. And I think it was a lot easier back then than it is now. Oh. 
but uh, I just started trying to do an interview a day. And I have like cassettes of so many of these interviews. And I thought I had lost a box of them. And I just found them recently. And, oh, it was so cool listening back to these. Wow. And um, so you were in, were you in high school then by this time? that, Or were you, what age? Um... I was going into the seventh grade. So really, you know, from seventh to graduation, I was... You know, I wasn't playing sports or in the uh, marching band, but I was the disc jockey. And I would go to the football games and we would broadcast the games. So I would go to the press box and and help call the football games. And, you know, again, it's just I look back on that and it's like, wow, did that really happen? But it was just a great, just a great experience. And, of course, it just made me realize you know, and learn more about songwriting and great songs and getting to play all these hits. And, and then I joined an FFA, Future Farmers of America, string band. It was ah. in, my, in my senior year. And then we started going to competitions and we won regional, then went to state and then went to Kansas City. And that really, really lit a fire under me to start writing songs and, and thinking about pursuing music. So did your friends think you were pretty cool working at the radio station? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Are you kidding? I mean, where I'm from, if you didn't play, and I don't say this in any kind of negative manner, but I mean, you know, it's high school football. That's a big deal. And I mean, it's a big deal everywhere, but in a small town. So I wasn't Mr. Cool. It was like, oh, okay. He's, he's weird. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so it didn't it didn't help with your dating life, huh? No, not at all. <laughs> Are you kidding? Not at all. Wow. But but that's okay. I remember thinking, well, it's probably a good thing. I mean, I had my crushes for sure, but I thought maybe that's a good thing because I'd probably get, you know, I'd probably go crazy and get sidetracked, get married yeah. the day after graduation, and and never go to Nashville. So. <laughs> So, I mean, at what point did you know, uh, or maybe did you already knew before you even worked at the radio station, but, um, you know, when did you know that this was going to be your career path that you were going to be on? I can't remember a time when it wasn't in my mind. I know that sounds maybe a little bizarre, you know, being a little kid, but I literally would watch any TV show that came from Nashville. And I was just like, you know, to me, it was like the land of Oz. I just couldn't wait. It seemed like a million miles away, and it really isn't. It's only like five hours. But I um, I just couldn't wait. I just would listen to the Grand Ole Opry, listen to WSM radio that carried the Opry, you know, and would try to get the signal in and turn the radio upside down sideways. And, <laughs> and I remember doing that many, many nights. And... Um, I just couldn't even imagine how amazing it would be to, to, you know, cross this city limit sign and just see, see Music City USA. But I knew, I just knew I was like in my song, I've lived country music. I counted down the days till I could drive that old highway, you know, to the city where all my dreams could come true. That's really, that's all true. Yes. Uh, I, 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 can let me also add now, I had a really, I was blessed with a wonderful home life. I was an only child. 
And, uh, mom, you know, hardworking parents, very simple life, but it wasn't like, Oh God, I can't wait to get out of this situation. That wasn't it at all. It was just, I just knew I had this dream that I had to pursue, but, uh, my parents and family, they were very supportive of that. And it doesn't hurt that you have the voice that you have either. I imagine, um, you know, it, it seems to be one that's very, uh, very good for storytelling and uh, broadcasting so um you know were your parents supportive of this dream or did they uh, have other dreams for you you know they didn't like i said they were very simple people my lost my mom this past november and uh you know very simple lady but just so loving and very supportive my dad worked for pepsi cola and uh just good people. That's all I can say. I mean, the town I'm from, it's funny. It's called the friendliest city in the South and, and it just might be, I mean, it's, it's one of those places where if you go to the grocery store, well, get ready. You're going to stay there for a while because you're going to see four or five people and it's going to be like a little reunion. And, uh, but they're so supportive. I mean, they've, I do a hometown show there usually every year and, and the people are just wonderful. So are, are you the most famous person from Luburn, Alabama? Or do you? Gosh, I just, it's so hard for me to look at it. You even have that word attached to me because, <laughs> I mean, it really is. But I, you know, in terms of doing something in the music business, I guess, or entertainment world, definitely. I guess I'm the only one that has, uh, you know, done that. And, um, but I love to talk about my hometown. I love to spread the word and it's funny it's in one of those towns where if you're going to panama city or destin florida you go through there and uh, it's funny the little rest one of the restaurants there you know people like loretta lynn's been there phil everly the everly brothers and a lot of the grand Ole opry people and, and they've told me you know they're like oh yeah we went through your hometown um, well, so when you were doing these interviews, like when you called up and people said yes, and, um, you know, what's one that uh, sticks out in your mind, uh, a memorable moment or a guest of all of those? That's a good question. Um, there's several that stick out in my mind. You know, there's Whispering Bill Anderson, a longtime Grand Ole Opry member and one of the most successful songwriters ever. I remember doing an interview with him and just so happens he was going to be in Montgomery the following week. And I didn't know that. And he says, how far are you from Montgomery? And I actually uh, went and interviewed him in person as well. And then I ended up being his sound engineer many years later and we still write songs together. But that one sticks out in my mind. And then, um, you know, I did a lot of, interviews in person too i remember going to press conferences for the group alabama and that was kind of funny to walk in and i'm just like 14 years old and here you know i'm carrying a cassette recorder and here are these older guys and they're looking at me like what are you doing here and <laughs> go away <laughs> but johnny <laughs> johnny cash you know that was that was a live interview and uh I mean, an in-person interview. And I just remember, I will tell you, I was like, there's a picture of me. And I didn't even know that it was, you know, taken until like 10 years after the fact. 
there's a picture of me just looking at him like he's well the giant that he was and uh, and i don't know that was a moment where i kind of it, it was it would have been easy to have gotten off track during the interview because boy did he have a presence when he walked into a room Oof. Well, and for the listeners, uh, we are going to be sharing some of these photos so that you'll be able to, you know, better visualize um, more about the life that, um, you know, that you've experienced. Uh, it's it's really, I think, captured well in the, the photos. So um, when did you start uh, playing, you know, instruments? You, you mentioned in this FFA uh, the the string band. So, um, did you sing and play an instrument and maybe write uh, some kind of song, or you know, when did this all begin? I started playing guitar, playing poorly, I might add, uh, probably at four or five years old. You know, and I had a couple of uncles, my uncle Robert, and my uncle James. They showed me some of the chords. I didn't take lessons. I played by ear, but you know, they would show me chords and then I would just sit at home and listen to my Waylon Jennings or Hank Williams records and I'd play along. And then I, that's how I learned. And then in my mind, I would, you know, I would pretend that I was a studio musician and I would sit in my room and play with the records. And then when it came time for a lead solo, I would try, I felt like, okay, I'm on the spot. I have to play it right now. And um, I'm telling you, I was a weird kid. <laughs> but, um, but no, I played, and then I, of course, started writing some very bad songs, you know, when I was in my early teens. But you've got to do that. You've got to go through that. It's like anything. You've got you to write about, you know, a hundred of them to, to finally start, you know. Uh, what was your, I have this question, and it's interesting that you said that, but uh, what was your first song about? My first song was called Alabama Moonlight. And, you know, in my mind, oh, I just couldn't believe it. It was like, this is like, you know, it's a feeling of like, oh, gosh, like no one else has ever done this. And then, of course, you realize later, well, that wasn't really good, but. But it's that first one, you know, and it was kind of a love song, you know, under that Alabama moonlight, waiting for my dream lover to come along, something like that. <laughs> Can't believe I remember that much, but <laughs> but I remember the group Alabama was out, and I thought, oh, this is something maybe they could record. Of course, how was I going to pitch it to them, you know? <laughs> but that was the beginning, and of course, that led to writing more songs and eventually playing them in a band and and um you know just again it was just um i I don't know just sitting here talking about all of this it's bringing back a lot of memories you're asking me some really good questions and um great Um, well uh, so we to follow up with some more great questions um because i i found um, the story very intriguing. Uh, your life is intriguing to me because, um, as I was telling you before we started the interview, a lot of this reminds me so much of my dad, who um, I also grew up in a small town, and um, uh-huh. you know, music was always a part of, of my life as well. So my dad listened to, 
he was always although he had an eight track you know eight track he had <laughs> real real uh, record player you know he so every kind of possible way to play music he had that so um you know just connecting with all these memories through you uh reminds me a lot of my of my dad and this is the month of four years since he passed away and um so it to me it's just really special just to get to 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 talk with you and so i i um when we get into these song lyrics which is the next thing i'd like to do is talk about um your your song i've lived country music which i guess came out in, in august of this year is that right that's correct it's been out for about a month now Okay, so it's, uh, I mean, it seems to me like um, it's autobiographical. Um, so if someone were to have, you know, if you were to have written your autobiography, uh, this seems like the song version of that. Would that be accurate? You're, you're very much correct. Uh, every line in that song is true. And that song just fell out one morning. I had uh, sang with Loretta Lynn. I did one of the old Conway and Loretta duets with her at her Fourth um, of July celebration up at her ranch in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. And the next morning, I started seeing these pictures from that night, and, and there I am sitting with Loretta Lynn on stage singing. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I remember as a kid going to see Conway and Loretta in Montgomery. And just admiring her so much. And I just, it was one of those, I can't believe that happened moments. And then I started thinking about other things that's happened in my life. And then that song just fell out. And the song is from a very humble place. It's not a song of uh, like, oh, look what I've done. Look who I've sang with or shared a stage with or whatever. It's, it's just like I came from this small little town in Alabama and I can't believe this has happened. And it's also a chance to honor these legendary people and just, you know, getting their name out there again. Yeah. And I, and I think people will connect, like I'm connecting with it through, you know, memories of my dad, uh, people, my dad's age will connect with it through, you know, actually, being uh, teenagers during the times of a, a lot of this, uh, you know, of the people that you mentioned. Um, so I just think that so many people are going to be able to connect with it um, and have their own memories. So for that reason, too, I think it's a great song. And well, I thank like you so much. I, I'm going to mention this really quick, too. I, I did a show in Decatur, Alabama, at this beautiful theater last night, and I had this young guy come up to me. And he he just said some of the kindest things about the song. He said this, you know, hearing Johnny Cash or Hank, we Bo Cephas, you know, Hank Jr. He said that just makes me think of my dad and yeah. listening to music. So it's really the same thing you're talking about, but it even can apply for even like a really a young guy, like a teenager, too. Well, it can. And, you know, like a lot of these like Johnny Cash is a for one, was able to transcend and, you know, reach, like, so many young people are, are huge fans. Um, right. And so I think a lot of these names, of course, Loretta Lynn, you know, us being Kentucky-based. Sure. Um, you know, uh, there's a, a big love for her. Um, so it, it's just, uh, I think you've just managed to 
through telling your story, um, let everyone have a connection of their own. And that's a really great thing, I think, when a song can do that. Because music is just, it's magical that way of, of how you can connect. And I'd like to pull out, like, as we go through and tell you the rest of your story, um, I would like to pull out some of the song lyrics and, you know, let you yeah, kind of use those as a bridge for you to tell us some more details or backstories because it's all sure. a different thing. So um, I pulled out, like, so you left Alabama to move to Nashville. Um, and so at what age, um, you know, did you do that? Okay, I'm going to have to rewind here. I actually went to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, for a couple of years before coming to Nashville. Okay. I, I met my, okay, my hometown radio station, it actually burned down. Oh. So, yeah, and I went, I'll never forget, it was after graduation, I ended up going to work at the Pepsi-Cola plant for about six months in the warehouse, and Boy, that I had never done, you know, manual work like that before. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And, <laughs> and then my dad brought me to Nashville. I'll never forget. We got off the Demumbrian exit. And at that time on Demumbrian Street, now there's nothing but bars there. But at that time, there was Hank Williams Jr.'s um, Family Tradition Museum, Mel Tillis Country Store, Loretta Lynn Western Wear, Conway Twitty Record Shop. And it was like Hillbilly, you know, the Hillbilly version of The Wizard of Oz and, and Barbara Mandrell's big museum. And then there was a Shoney's restaurant and we stopped there. That was our first stop. And we were walking in. And as we're walking in the restaurant, Minnie Pearl is walking out. Wow. And then there's Lacey J. Dalton, who had a big hit called 16th Avenue. She's smoking a cigarette in the parking lot. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But, but anyway, so, you know, we were here for four or five days. And, and then you start going down Music Row. And you're like, oh, my gosh, how do you get into these offices? I don't know anyone. So, honestly, at that point, I went back and thought, I don't know that I can do this. Maybe I'm just going to stay in radio. And so I had a gig waiting for me over in another city called Greenville, Alabama. But Hank Williams's first cousin, Edna, who lived down in that area, called me and she says, you need to come to Andalusia. I'm going to drive you to meet this guy who manages this 100,000-watt radio station. They're looking for someone. And I'm like, no, I'm going to this other station. She says, I insist. So I'm like, all right, I'll go and meet with him. <laughs> and I walk in the door, and there's a guy working in the control room. His name is Billy Henderson, and he's a successful songwriter who had had songs recorded by Crystal Gale, Jerry Reed, and a few other artists. And he was down there working for just a couple of months and taking care of his ailing parents. And he became, at that time, my music mentor, and I took the job there that station and he was my link right when i thought maybe i wasn't going to try this i mean i dreamed about it forever but then i got intimidated when i came the first time to nashville but anyway i met billy and he just started like listening to some of my songs he started working on some of them with me 
And then that led me to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. He went back there. That's where he was based. And then I got a radio gig there. I became roommates with Mike McGuire of the group Shenandoah, who were just, they were really just taking off at that time, beginning to have their first hits. And then, and then I ended up in Nashville. Mel Tillis brought me to Nashville a couple of years later. There's a lot of info to give you, but, but that's the, that's just the way it happened. And it, it's, it's just crazy how things like that can happen. I mean, again, if I'd have went to that other radio station, I might have never come to Nashville, you know, because I needed someone to really help me out. You know, I guess everyone needs, we we need someone, but Billy was that guy who really became my mentor and just, you know, just kind of helped guide me along the way and introduced me to other songwriters. Okay. So, um, when you got to Nashville then, um, because you you sort of referenced one of the lines that I'd pulled out here um, that, um, well, first you sold groceries to Conway Twitty. uh, So I saw like a picture that you were working and looked like at a Kroger's maybe. That's right. That's right. Well, Mel Tillis brought me to town and paid me $100 a week to write songs for his publishing company. And I was just so thrilled to, number one work with such an iconic songwriter artist as mel but that wasn't going to pay all the bills so i got a job at kroger grocery store at night and i always laugh and say i made another 100 dollars a week but <laughs> um people like conway twitty would come through my checkout line brooks and dunn diamond rio crystal gale patty loveless and it was like every night somebody like that would would come through and I mean, did you have like conversations with them, you know, other than here's your change, I mean, you know, you know you- what, uh, some of them I did. Um, I remember Patty Loveless was really having a lot of hit records at that time. And she was just very kind. And I actually approached her. I was on break. I remember and just kind of walking down the aisle and I just spoke and said, I just want to tell you, I really love what you do. I'm a songwriter over at Mel Tillis's company. And from that moment on, and she would come in Kroger, she would always come to my checkout line and say, well, what's happening? What's happening? And one of these days you're going to have, you're going to get a song recorded. And I just, I've never forgotten her kindness. Well, that is, see, and that's a really interesting memory. Like, you know, I, I can't imagine um, just, seeing someone come through my checkout lane but then the the fact that she continues so you know you were saying that you needed encouraging people or people guiding and I I think even just that kindness of her coming through your line and you know checking to see uh, how you're doing and what's happening and saying you're gonna get that hit you know that's very motivating too just a, a kind act like that I think is is a lot of support when you're you know, trying to make it in, in this kind of business. Oh, it's huge. It's always a big, a huge thing to just be kind. I was telling someone a couple of days ago, you know, we, we just, I think we fail to realize how important just a smile is. I mean, and I always try to do that. Like if I'm at a target or Walmart or wherever, if uh, wherever you can find real people working now in a line, (laughs) 
But I always, <laughs> like at the grocery store, I always just say, how are you today? Or hope you have a great rest of the day. And it's it's interesting to see their reaction and how usually, you know, a big smile will come across their face. And it's just huge. And that was just big moments for me, like Patty's kindness and others, too. Sure. And were you, did you, I mean, were you starstruck at all? Um, well, you know, I had, again, been in radio for years and I had met a lot of people, but there were certain ones. I mean, when Conway Twitty walked in, I mean, yeah, there's just something about an iconic artist like that where you're like, wow, that's Conway Twitty. I'll never forget one night the great uh, Andy Williams was in Nashville. You remember Moon River and Days of Wine and Roses, and he had his own TV show, and he was based out of California. But he came in to record a project for Curb Records, and he, I guess, rented a little apartment. And he came in Kroger like four or five times, and he he walked in, and I'm like, I was really starstruck with Andy Williams. I I can imagine, uh, you know, at any age, really. Yeah. You were still pretty young at this time, so um, but yeah, like at Mel Tillis's publishing company, you know, Glenn Campbell, you know, he, he would pop in from time to time. Or I remember Roger Miller came in one time, and yeah, I definitely had moments of I was totally in awe of these uh, artists that I had grown up, you know, listening to. Well, you know, it seems like that the lyrics, besides um, specific memories that are kind of, you know, chronological, and I can see why you you put those to start the song, but um, a lot of them seem very intimate and personal, Uh, and so I wanted to ask you about some of the backstories of those. I mean, one thing that struck me was eating biscuits and gravy with Porter (laughs) Wagner. So, you know, how did that work? Well... As I mentioned earlier, I was a sound engineer before I started getting a lot of songs recorded. I was sound engineer for Bill Anderson and, of course, a longtime Grand Ole Opry member. And so if we weren't on the road, we were usually at the Opry and I would be there. And one night, Porter Wagoner's, uh, he had a banjo player and a female vocalist named Pam Gadd. And she walked up to me and she says, I'm really a fan of your writing. And she says, you know, Porter hasn't written really in a long time. And I'd love to see you guys get together. And I thought, well, he's not going to want to write. And I didn't know him. And she just says, no, come into the dressing room. And uh, anyway, he gave me his phone number. I gave him mine. And then the following Monday, he calls and we set up an appointment. And, and his daughter, Deborah operated his little office out of his home and she called me the day before and she says one rule be here at five minutes until 11 o'clock and i said okay five to 11 she says yes because he's going to want to be at cracker barrel seated at his table at 11 o'clock which was literally five minutes away (laughs) and um he went in there i guess almost every day and he loved biscuits and gravy and uh I remember, too, he says, you've got to try a, their strawberry shortcake, and you, you you don't need to do the angel food cake. You need to do a biscuit. <laughs> he loved his biscuits, <laughs> but uh, that's true. That's where that came from, wow. and, I, and I didn't do it once. I did it a few times, and we wrote some songs, and he recorded one of them, and 
and then Joe Nichols recorded a song we wrote. Uh, well, did you fall in love with biscuits and gravy, or were you already a fan? Or? Oh, I already knew. Of, are you kidding? I mean, I'm from <laughs> South Alabama. I mean, I knew all about biscuits and gravy. <laughs> Hard to beat those, you know. I'm telling you. <laughs> all right. Well, the, another intimate, uh, and, and I mean, I'm well, I would be envious of pretty much all of these because I like biscuits and gravy a lot too, but um, <laughs> you know, um, the Everly Brothers, the one thing you mentioned is Phil Everly singing Dream which is a like you know, I'm a very ro- hopeless romantic, like sappy song person and um, so hearing that performed in his living room is very appealing to me so how did that happen? Oh gosh, I I was at uh, a BMI Awards uh, dinner. Oh gosh, I can't remember the year, but it was the year that the Everly Brothers were being inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Okay. And so Phil was attending all of the events that week, the CMA Awards, the BMI Awards, uh, the Hall of Fame induction. And so anyway, I was at the BMI Awards and I was coming off stage and he, he spoke to me and... And then we saw each other again out in the lobby. And just so happens a girl from close to my hometown recognized me. And she was there with Phil and his wife. And she says, oh, my gosh. She says, yeah, I'm their neighbor. And we started talking. And then Phil was like, well, we need to write a song. Here's my phone number. And, I mean, I didn't approach him about it. He approached me when I was just like, now, I was really in awe. I mean, I was a huge well, who who doesn't love the Everly Brothers? Right, and, Clown, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, they influenced Simon and Garfunkel, the Beatles. Yeah. We could go on and on and on. But so anyway, I remember being really nervous driving down to his house. He lived about 40 minutes south of Nashville. And uh, it was like rock and roll royalty. But boy, it didn't take it didn't take a minute to feel at home in his presence. And he was just one of the kindest souls. He didn't care to talk about all of his accomplishments. He just wanted to wear his blue sweatpants. And uh, I'll never forget, I'm going to give you an extra little story here about him to really let you know what he was like. One Sunday, he called and he says, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, actually, nothing. He says, well, drive down. So I you know, made the drive down to Columbia, Tennessee. And uh, he was like, okay, hop in the car. So we go to a Walmart. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I mean, what's going on here? We walk in, he hands me a $20 bill. And I'm like, well, that's okay. He says, no, 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 I insist. We're going to play the claw machines. You know those little machines when you walk in and they you try to, you know, pick up a, yes. a, a watch and, and toys <laughs> And he was, like, addicted to playing those claw machines. (laughs) And he, I didn't get a watch, but he got a watch. And when we got back to the house, he said, here, I'm going to give you the watch. I said, oh, I'm not taking your watch. Then he opened up a drawer, and there was, like, 20 watches. (laughs) And he would go and play those. And it later, it dawned on me what that was about. He was like being a kid. Because he didn't really have a childhood, because he and his brother Don, you know, when they were five years old, they were doing radio shows 
And they were like going, you know, from Kentucky to Iowa to Knoxville. So they never really had a childhood. And I thought, well, he's just kind of having his little childlike moments now at this point in life. But just the sweetest man. And, oh, you talk about missing someone. I, I still really miss him. Well, I hope that you took the watch and that you kept it. Um, that would be a great memory. I have the watch. I'm looking at the watch actually right now. I have a shelf where I put little objects like that, you know, from from special moments. And I have a watch right here. And I think of him, well, every day. Hmm. You know, that would be a great photo if, if we could possibly. Yeah, right. Like that. that is, I mean... <laughs> You know, so something, I mean, again, that, that is just um incredible backstory of something that most people would think, you know, nothing about that play those machines, but just, just the fact of what it meant to him and that um, he get that. No, right. I know. And then one day we were playing, you know, writing songs and then for some reason or another, I think I the one well I know I'm the one that started it started playing Dream and then he he started singing it and I was just sitting there thinking wow what wow. a moment I I am envious that I sounds beautiful um so you you have a couple of other moments that you know are sound very touching one is that um, you say that you were with Eddie Arnold in his final days. So um, there must have been a backstory connection there. And, and, you know, what could you share about that? Well, for a lot of the younger listeners, they may not be aware of how big or even who Eddie Arnold is or how big he was, what a big star he was back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. He had hits even into the early 80s. He was with RCA Records for like over 50 years. Uh, sold millions, like 85 million records. Um, he was, he really crossed, was one of the first crossover artists too, from country to pop. But, you know, huge star, had a little office in Brentwood, Tennessee, drove worth a lot of money, millions of dollars, but would drive this simple Buick, love to eat at these little country restaurants. And, uh, he grew up very poor, uh, on a farm actually his dad owned and you know owned a farm and then his dad passed away and then i remember him telling me they auctioned the farm off and then he ended up working for the people that bought the farm but he just worked really hard and you know was very successful and when i was writing for mel tillis's company ralph emery had a tv show on the nashville network called nashville now and um I remember Eddie was scheduled to perform and my parents were coming up and they loved Eddie Arnold and had never seen him perform. And I got tickets and then I realized his name was taking off the schedule. So Mel had a little Rolodex with office numbers and he had Eddie Arnold's office. So I called and his secretary, Roberta answered and I told her, you know, that I had had tickets and my parents were coming in. She says, well, unfortunately, Mr. Arnold has rescheduled that date. But she said, if you come, she said, hold on just a minute. And she came back and she says, can you bring your parents here to our office at two o'clock 
next Thursday. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't, you know, wanting anything like that. And she insisted. So I did. And he and my dad just really hit it off and was talking about gardens. And and he says, you know, if you have any of those wonderful South Alabama tomatoes, would you send some, you know, <laughs> give them to your son and let him bring them up? And I brought him some tomatoes. And then we just sat and visited and talked for a couple of hours. And then next thing you know, we're going to lunch. And then a friendship developed. And we had lunch for the next, I think, 14 years. We probably went to lunch once every week, at least. Uh, There wasn't many weeks that we didn't have lunch one day. And, And it wasn't just me. He had a buddy who had a hardware store and some other old music friends. And and we would go to these wonderful little we call them meat and threes here you know where they you pick them either chicken or a pork chop and then you know pinto beans and cream corn and he loved those kind of places and and oh so many wonderful memories god you're bringing i'm really (laughs) enjoying this interview because it's really i'm really reflecting uh on a lot of things that i haven't thought about in a long time well um I mean, that is, it seems like food is connected in a lot of these movies, too. The tomatoes, you know, the biscuits and gravy. And, and uh, listen, these country this. singers, they love their uh, lunch. I mean, Hank Williams Jr., it's an event when you go to lunch with him. <laughs> well, uh, and George Jones, you say you spent um, some time at his home. So, you know, uh, what's that like? Well, I met uh, George and his wife, Nancy, again, when I was writing for Mel Tillis' company. Mel had this two-story building on Music Row, and he would lease out offices. So I would say George had an office, but it was really his wife. George wasn't going to sit at a desk. Um, (laughs) But he would come in, and he would be sitting in the lobby like, I want to go home and watch Gunsmoke, you know. And, (laughs) And, I mean, he was always there. And that now that was a always was really cool. I'm like, gosh, it's George Jones. And he was just so kind. But um, he and his wife had an artist that was a member of uh, his band. But also they had gotten the guy a record deal and they wanted me to write with him. So I went to their home and actually wrote with this guy. His name was Dwayne Phillips. And we wrote several times and. I remember one Halloween, we would write down in the basement. It was called George's Doghouse. And we would write down there, and there would be awards everywhere from George's career and these pictures, you know, of George and everyone you can imagine. And I remember we were climbing up the stairs and opened the door, and George was hiding behind the door. It was on Halloween, and he's like, boo! You know, we almost <laughs> fell back down the stairs. And, and I remember the song, I Don't Need Your Rockin' Chair. I remember the day the video was brought to their house before it was ever aired on CMT. And we went into their bedroom, and here's George, Nancy, and uh, Dwayne, and another co-writer, a friend of mine, Mark Narmore, and I, there sitting on the bed, George Jones's bed, <laughs> watching the video. Which is hilarious. <laughs> I've never, never told that story. Wow. Uh, so I know you mentioned earlier, I mean, so this is an autobiographical song. Uh, as you look back now and you're, you've reflected uh, on all these memories, 
you know, is, is this going to be your signature song, you think, that thing people's going to remember you for? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, that's yet to be, you know, you know, because it's early. I mean, it's only been out for a month. But, you know, at this point, I guess my signature song, I mean, I didn't record it, but I co-wrote it. And it's a song called One More Day that Diamond Rio recorded. And um, so that's been my biggest copyright. But, you know, it could be my, you know, as far as me being a, singing my own material, I guess this could definitely, it's my story. So. I sure wouldn't mind that. Well, Diamond Rio uh, was coming to Barberville, Kentucky, uh, to the Daniel Boone Festival. So, uh, you know, and that's in October. So uh, maybe they'll sing your song and I'll be thinking like, hey, you know. Oh, they're, they, I don't mean this in a arrogant way, but they're definitely going to sing it. <laughs> I can tell you <laughs> yeah. that. Because it's, it's been, uh, it's been like a career song for uh for them and for me. And, uh, I, you know, again, I'm just really grateful for that one. Well, I definitely will be listening for that and I'll be thinking of you during that. Oh. Time. So, uh, I, you, this song is, you know, I think we covered like a lot of, of the lyrics that I wanted to bring out, but, um, it, it's an amazing song and I, I just feel like that, uh, it, it's going to be a legacy song for you, uh, of you know, of the songs that you perform, uh, because because it does sum up so much and it brings so many connections to people. So, I really do appreciate you sharing the backstories um, behind the lyrics and as parts of your life that you shared with us. And then I wanted to also like ask about acting. So, you know, if all of these experiences weren't enough, uh, you've, you've been in some um, TV programs and movies. So how did that happen? When did you decide you wanted to be on screen? Well, that was not really one of my dreams, to be honest with you. Um, but... Oh, gosh, it was probably 2009. I uh, was asked to be a um, cast member in this CMT show called The Singing Bee. It was really a game show hosted by Melissa Peterman, who co-started Reba's TV show. And they had a band, singers, and then they had contestants. And the, you know, the contestants would have to finish the song. You know, we would do a couple of lines. and So anyway, I'm like, why not? So I was a part of that group. They had wonderful artists and musicians and um, some of the singers worked with Brooks and Dunn and, and other artists too. I can't remember right offhand, but anyway, that show went for four seasons and we filmed that out in Los Angeles and it was very successful, had great ratings and, uh, it was just a great experience. And then I've been in some films. Uh, it was my dear friend, Stephen Dorff, wonderful actor who's uh, been in probably over easily over 75 movies, worked with everyone from Jack Nicholson to, you know, John Travolta. But anyway, he's, uh, he uh, gave me a chance to be in this film called break. It was with him and Tom Berenger. It wasn't a big part, but it was a, speaking part and um then i did some voiceover for that film 
And then Stephen approached me about doing a film based on a dreamer from Texas who wanted to come to Nashville and pursue a career in writing and, and singing. And the director actually came and stayed at my place for almost a month. And he said, I want you to take me on your journey. When you came to Nashville, where's the first hotel that you stayed at? Where was the first place you went to hear live music? And um, so we ended up, you know, like even the hotel in the film is the hotel that I stayed in the first time. The movie is called Wheeler. And I played myself and uh, Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson's in the film. And, and that was a really, that was one of the highlights for me. I mean, it was something that I'd never had even dreamed of doing, but once I did, it was just a great experience. Again, getting to just kind of share some of my story and incorporate it into a, you know, into a movie. And, um, and again, to have Chris Christopherson sure. as a part of the film, um, I'll never forget when we got the final edit of the movie, Stephen and I went to Chris's house and played it for him and his wife and, that was really a, a night I'll never forget, too. So, Matt, uh, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, I, I could sit here and listen to these stories for hours. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you got enough material for that. <laughs> you know what's really weird for me? I mean, because I'm not one that, number one, I'm not one, if I go to dinner with someone, I'm going to sit and talk about myself and even share these stories. So this has been interesting, this new song, because it has allowed me to open up about a lot of stories and memories in my life. And I, it's really kind of mind-blowing to me. I know that may sound weird, because I just don't talk about a lot of these things, or haven't. Right. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've always been around these guys who've had all these stories to tell. And I'm like, am I that guy now? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, you I'm know, guy. <laughs> I'm that guy that always was around Eddie Arnold. Like, oh, tell me about the time you were on the Tonight Show and Jimmy Stewart was on, right, or, yeah. or Hank Jr. Tell me about you know when you, you know, tell me about that time you were on sh headlining this show when you were eight years old. Right. So it's, I don't know, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, so you you you've worked with some of the more I mean, you know, I, iconic uh, country music people, and uh, you, you you know or have met some of the more current crop, I would think. You oh, I had, you know, listen, I I work with, I just wrote a song a few months ago with this little kid, Mason Ramsey, and I don't even know, how old is he now? He's the kid who got discovered by singing Hank Williams at Walmart, and he's in his early teens, if even that old. Wow. But I work with a lot of young acts up and coming, new artists that are signed, and uh, you got to, you know, keep moving ahead and and keep current. And uh, I've been sure. blessed to have, uh, you know, so many of my songs recorded. I mean, Blake Shelton, I've got a song out right now on Barbara Streisand and Willie Nelson. It's a, a new duet. But at the same time, I have, you know, songs by, you know, this new artist, Mo Pitney, who's in his early 20s. Right, so. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. I just love it. I still have the passion that I had when I came here. And uh, it's a joy working with someone who's new to town. And uh, and they love to hear stories. And 
and they it's funny they want to hear you know back a lot of these people i'm talking about i'm like tell me how it was in the 50s and some of these guys are like tell me how it was in the 90s (laughs) (laughs) i'm saying really it's funny that happened to me earlier this week oh so long ago (laughs) oh i know right (laughs) i know i know so you're real old (laughs) yeah i know right (laughs) goodness but I started when I was 11, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the, you do have that going for you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I just, I don't know. This has just been so much fun. I, um, there's one thing I didn't mention. I know we've talked a lot. I've talked a lot. But you, the one thing that really, I think, put me on the, the path of dreaming to come here that I didn't mention was Hank Williams. I really always have to give him credit. Uh, even though he had been gone for many years by the time I came into the world. Where I was uh, raised, everywhere you go in the area, my parents or cousins or family members would say, oh, Hank Williams played there at the Chevrolet dealership grand opening. Oh, he played at this school. He Hmm. played at this hardware store that used to be a theater. And there's something about that at an early age that really just, I keep using the line, lit a fire. But I thought, wow, this guy who was literally born out in a field could go to Nashville and make, you know, do do what he did in the music business. Maybe I at least could go there and do something. But that really was my driving force. Uh, I'll have to say Hank Williams, uh, that was the first, you know, thing that really lit a spark for me. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned him because... uh... I'm sure many people um, have been inspired by him in different ways. And uh, I think, you know, just that your parents are like pointing out these, it makes it, I guess, seem real, like it's possible. Exactly. And listen, there's pictures to prove it. There's a picture (laughs) of him before he even, you know, had a hit record before he came to Nashville at this Chevrolet dealership grand opening, there's 200 people gathered around, like he's already a superstar. Wow. So, I mean, believe me, that really will uh, inspire you when you're a kid, or even when you're older. I mean, sure. but, you know, and a lot of his family members were down there, and I got to know them. They would tell me stories. and So that was, uh, that was my first inspiration. Hmm. So for people out there now that, uh, you know, have this dream, no matter what their age, um, you know, what advice would you give them? Like looking back on what's worked for you, but what do you tell people is the, the important things um, if they want to be successful uh, in either singing or songwriting? You know, um, be true to yourself. Be who you really are. Don't try to copy. Um, because, you know, you know, it's like even me now writing a song. If I go to write a song, I mean, there's no need of me trying to write, you know, what 200 other people are trying to do. Just be myself right from the heart. And that's always worked for me. I mean, when I try to copy something or you know, it, it just never works. I've never had that work for me. But every time I've really opened up my heart, and I don't mean it has to be the deepest song, but just 
be true to yourself musically, be true to yourself, you know, with your lyrics. And, um, and I have a lot of people there. They ask me, they're like, you think I should come to Nashville? Do you think I really have a shot? And, and that's a hard, uh, you know, what do you say to people? I mean, it's like, this is the way I look at it. If you feel like you can't live without it, then come. If you feel like you can li- live without it, though, maybe you should just stay where you are, or follow another path, because it's not easy. I mean, I know I've sat here for an hour and told all these great stories, but what I haven't told you are the moments of, am I ever going to get another song recorded? Is the song going to make the project? Is the, Am I going to get renewed with my publishing contract? Uh, am I going to get invited to You know, am I going to get shows, (laughs) any more shows next year? I mean, is it over? I mean, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff can enter your mind if you're, you know, and uh, it's a hard business. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, come to town and you're going to be eating dinner at Dolly Parton's house (laughs) next week. But um, it's just, you know what, for me, Bart Herbison from the Nashville Songwriters Association, he summed it up for me. He said, Bobby, you've loved the music so much from the very beginning, and it's loved you back. You've had a respect for it. You love it. It's not about, oh, let me make money off of it. It's not about, let me be famous. It's just about loving it. And he says, it's loved you back. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, so... um... Hmm. I'm trying to think of like one other question to give you like so a lot of people I don't know if it's a lot of people but I've heard people complain about the state of country music these days um what's your take on that you you're working with a lot of new and interesting artists and things like that do you think it's the same or I mean, I know it's changed as far as sound and things like that go, but um, what's your feeling about the state of country music these days? Well, it's always, you know, I would like to think it's always grown, you know, that's it's always evolved. I mean, if you look back from the very beginning, the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers, you know, it went from yeah. that to Smoky Mountain sounds of Roy Acuff to... yeah. Then Hank Williams brought the blues into country music. And then, of course, Elvis hit and Jerry Lee. And, and you had the Texas influence with Ray Price. And, mm-hmm. you know, we could go on and on and on. And then country got very pop at one point in the 80s. You know, uh, Kenny Rogers was really, you know, people forget. He was really trying out some new things, new sounds. And a lot of other artists were doing that. And then all of a sudden you had this resurgence of traditional country with randy travis right and uh then of course the class of 89 with clint black garth brooks and alan jackson and then we've gone very pop again now i mean uh, sometimes i don't even you know i don't i don't know if i'm really listening to a country station (laughs) and i'm not gonna sit here i'm not gonna lie to you i mean i've written some very pop rock you know music um and again when i have it's been from a real place it's been from my heart it's not like i'm just trying to do that but i think we've gotten i'm just going to be honest with you i think we've gotten too far from the roots i mean i i'm not saying let's go back to 
you know, yeah. singing uh, the great train robbery or whatever. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't mind hearing some more steel guitar. I wouldn't mind hearing a fiddle. I mean, someone told me about a fiddle player, great fiddle player who was out begging for tips at Walmart in Hendersonville wow. uh, this past week. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and I just, I don't know, too much of it sounds alike right now, I think, too. We need some more... You know, we need to have a few more artists. I feel like when you hear them, you know who they are. You don't have to wonder if it's one of 20 others. Right. Right. And I'm not saying there's not some great music. Actually, I think it's getting better. I've been hearing a lot of new songs lately that have really moved me that I love. So I think we're back, headed back in a good direction. And and some of these new artists that are being signed right now, I have a lot of hope for the format after hearing them and, and uh, just hopefully the radio will play them Yeah, where the world will get to hear them, the rest of the world. All right, Kat, you got anything else? Uh, I I just want to um, say that I've really enjoyed this episode a lot. And I am so uh, honored that you came to be a part of backstory sessions. I mean, everyone has a backstory story you have more than most and um it's it's just really been an honor to have you as our guest today and uh, i i wish you the best or any future projects you'd like to share before we end the episode oh gosh well i mentioned the new song that willie nelson and barbara streisand have out so if you haven't heard that any listener any of the listeners check it out it's called i'd want it to be you and uh you know check out my YouTube, uh, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram. That's the world we live in now. And, you know, writing some new songs. Got a lot of shows coming up. Uh, And, uh, you know, also writing for myself uh, as well as other artists. You know, I'll definitely be putting out some more music. And, and, uh, yeah, I have a song, like I mentioned, on this artist, Mo Pitney. He and Jamie Johnson recorded a song called Music Man. And uh, I've got a song on bluegrass great Rhonda Vincent's new record, a song called okay. Like I Could. Awesome. And yeah. Jeannie Seeley, uh, Jeannie Seeley from the Grand Ole Opry, a song on her new project, too, a song that Dottie West started back in the 60s and Steve Warner and I finished, and it's, it's on her new record, and it's called "If You Could Call It That." So, oh. that's pretty much my update. <laughs> wow, that's awesome! You're kind of all over the place. <laughs> I feel it, and you know what? I've really enjoyed just sitting it down in a in a rocking chair this morning and visiting with you guys. It's actually been really—it's the most I've been at home during the daytime in a long time. So it's been wonderful. Awesome. We appreciate you sharing that part with us. Um, And uh, come back anytime. And we'd love to hear your new backstories that you're going to, I know, have in the future. So, uh, again, thank you for being our guest and sharing the stories. Well, I really do appreciate you guys. And I appreciate the great questions. Again, I've reflected and remembered some things I hadn't thought of in a long time. And uh, you're definitely not boring. It's, it's been great. <laughs> oh, Believe you. me, it's not the typical. How'd you get into the business? Oh, okay. <laughs> but, and you know what? Really, I'm going to throw this in here. 
uh, you wouldn't believe some of the interviews now. They're like, oh, what's your favorite dog? What's your favorite ice cream? What does that matter? Who cares? Matter. <laughs> I told you we couldn't ask those questions. <laughs> well, let's talk about, like, you know, let's remember Phil Everly and talk about him. Yeah. You know? Let's yeah. not waste time. <laughs> I, do, I do have so one. thank you. I do have one more question before we go. And maybe, right. like, so you write a lot of songs, and I assume that's primarily on the guitar. It is, yeah. Or in my head, a lot of them, you know, when I'm driving, it'll, you know, yeah. uh, few lines will come to me and I'll just grab my cell phone recorder. I mean, it's loaded like hundreds of little bits and pieces of melodies and lyrics. Okay. So you like, you, you kind of write things as you go, keep notes, that sort of thing. Yeah. That song radar is always on and that can drive you crazy too. And I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm out to lunch and somebody says, Oh, ain't this great banana pudding. It's not like, Oh God, that's a great song. But I can just, cause I know some songwriters like that and that drives me nuts. Uh. <laughs> I don't like to you. It's like, but, but you know, I'll have my little radar up and I'll hear something I've never heard before. And yeah. I'll immediately put it in my little book and very quietly, I don't have to announce it to, right, the, yeah. the, you know, to the crowd that I'm in. Right. Yeah. I was just curious how you like what your writing process was like, you know, that like you come up with an idea and you were, you know, you jot down a few words and then sit down at some point and like write a song in your head. Yeah. A lot of uh, times I'll just pick up the guitar like at one thirty, two o'clock in the morning or either when I first wake up and, and there will be some really cool melodies that will come right. my way then and before the day gets crazy, you yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. See the lyrics come at the same time, you know, with the tune, with the melody, or do you hear like a melody and think, oh, well, these words might match, or you know, usually it's both. Both come to me, and I'm not yeah. saying I'm I'm going to write the whole song, but maybe a verse, maybe a little bit of a chorus sure. will come, and then you know, I have my publisher, Curb Music Publishing. I've been with him 26 years. And uh, they they set up appointments with other great writers. And then, I, of course, I have my writing buddies that I just uh, set up appointments with. And sometimes I'll just save what I have for those appointments and play it and, and see if they like it. And, you know, it works in several different ways. Hmm. So it sounds like you have quite the Rolodex yourself. I'm really blessed with a lot of great co-writers. Yeah. And like I said, it's always changing. I mean, like this past week, I wrote with this, I think he was 18 years old, this new kid, Brock, hmm. was his name, that this company, Big Machine, has signed. And and then I wrote with this artist from Canada that I'd never met, and she just let me know that it's going to be on her project. And oh. I wish it was I wish it was always that easy, but, it, you know, it's you have to write a lot of songs to get one on a project, it seems. But right, yeah. But uh, have you yeah. tried uh, ever? Like, has there ever been a collaboration that just didn't work? Like, you know, you got matched up with someone to try. We're gonna uh, try to song, and it yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. Not <laughs> you know, for the most part, it's not a it's always kind people. But boy, I've had a couple. I mean, I had this one one lady who uh, she just uh, she just needed to write the song by herself she didn't need a co-writer <laughs> because 
when I just said, well, how about we say this? I mean, what do you think? She threw the pencil across the room. <laughs> wow. I said, I think this appointment is over yeah. now. Take my name off this song. Thank you. <laughs> well, good luck with all that. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard some horror stories, but, you know, for the most part, it's always good. That's awesome. Well, I'm throwing my pencil across the room now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'm telling you. Well, you got to have some excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Makes cool. for great stories. Yeah. At least she didn't throw it at you. <laughs> oh, um, well, it didn't. It wasn't far from me. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Well, we will. Uh, We'll let you go. I really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, all the great stories you, you shared with us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to be able to sit down with someone who's seen a lot of different changes through their industry that they're in. And, uh, you know, it's still living the life, I guess you would say. And, uh, you know, um, still enjoying it. That's great too. Exactly. So, well, it is a blessing to be enjoying it. That is true. And uh, I just kind of take it one day at a time. And it's been a rough year and a half. Lost a lot of dear friends. And mm-hmm. and through that, I've just realized, again, really how precious every day is. As trite as that may sound, I just don't take it for granted and just try to make the best of it. And on that note, we will end this podcast. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming by. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys again. It's just been a pleasure. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to Kat at IWritePlays at Outlook.com or you can write to me at BackstorySessions at gmail.com or Matt at Level11Ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.